He was a hero to some, a villain to others. And wherever he rode, people spoke his name in whispers. He had no friends, this Jonah Hex. But he did have two companions. One was death itself. The other, the acrid smell of gun smoke. Hex. Hello, everybody. I'm Mike Gillis. And I'm Casey Doran. And this is kind of a special project we're doing, uh, as you can tell. Hex and Violence is about a comic book character you might have never heard of before. Yeah, I mean, except for maybe an appearance on Batman the Animated Series or a movie best forgotten about, movie adaptation we don't like to talk about. Oh, God. Uh, well, we will have to get to it we eventually. We certainly will. <laughs> but, I mean, I think a lot of it is that what you kind of learn is that comic books are a medium that have always managed to internalize, nay, rip off the popular culture around them. So, absolutely. You know, Marvel's Luke Cage was sort of their answer to black exploitation films in the 1970s. Iron Fist and Shang-Chi, the master of kung fu, is obviously kung fu movies were really big. Of and Jonah Hex was DC Comics' answer to the popularity of the spaghetti western. Mm-hmm. And uh, the spaghetti western it probably needs a little bit of of definition for some folks because we're not talking about like singing cowboys we're not talking of even about the classic john wayne movies right right with a a square jawed upright hero (laughs) who's you know gooder than good and he's going to bring justice to this town doesn't say much yeah Yeah. i mean this is a very different kind of thing i mean the spaghetti westerns kind of came largely were made in italy on a very low budget uh they tend to be kind of amoral and cynical and, and violent super violent yeah. i mean yeah. the good the bad and the ugly um american versions of them i mean sam peckinpah made the wild bunch mm-hmm. most of these started in the late 1960s uh, you know fistful of dollars i mean clint eastwood got famous making these movies right right and i mean i think you i think it became it was something that was spun off from a TV westerns or movie serial westerns, and I think it's it became in the spaghetti westerns sort of its own and superior take on the entire genre itself. I mean, um, it's hard to not see the influence of Sergio Leone's movies, The Man with No Name or Dollars Trilogy, I think they call it sometimes, on every western that comes afterwards. Yeah, I think there was a certain romanticism we had about the West, and if you watch Back to the Future 3, uh, they kind of make oh, a of joke course. out of it of because you look at the outfit that Doc Brown gives Marty to go back to 1885, right. and it's a singing cowboy outfit with like atomic logos, and it's pink and red and yellow, and it's not the, the way that we sort of saw the West, and I think that there was a much more cynical look at the West in these movies. It wasn't romantic, that there was an ugly, pulpy, kind of... I guess crime noir almost kind of yeah. thing to it. That the yeah. heroes weren't necessarily out to be white hats. That they were often loners. They were often acting in their own interests, and they could do really nasty shit to bad guys. Yeah, I mean that the the world itself is just a kind of un, an irredeemably brutal, I guess. And usually, the hero in a in a Sergio Leone movie can barely eke out a victory for himself, but it's going to be you know, a victory that leaves a trail of corpses in this wake, you know? So who is this Jonah Hex guy? Well, Jonah Hex is, in a lot of ways, pulls from the man with no name. He is 
He's a loner. He is a mm-hmm. bounty hunter. Mm-hmm. And he is a man in... I guess you could say the remains of a Confederate uniform because he wears sort of deerskin boots with it. Right. So he's kind of modified it over time. And he's got, most iconically, this really nasty facial burn that covers the right side of his face, mm-hmm. where it looks like his, his face is almost melting. His his eye is kind of bulging out because it looks like maybe his bottom eyelid isn't quite there as much as it was before. Right. And either he has a hole in his cheek on one side, or there's a bit of flesh that actually goes over the mouth and connects to the lip on the bottom right, side. Right, like it fused somehow. Yeah, it's yeah. like it melted and re-hardened. <laughs> I mean, the thing that I, uh, after really reading these comic books based on your suggestions, which, to be honest, this whole podcast is like, on my best of days, I could not have conceived of this. And it didn't take much convincing with Jonah Hex, because he's that interesting. Um, he's a... Uh, he, uh, we talk a lot about uh, on Radio versus the Martians about the white hat as sort of a trope in westerns. Jonah Hex's hat is gray, yeah, and that'll tell you anything you want, everything you want to know about the morality of Jonah Hex's world. Absolutely, in you can even see it in the the symbolism of his face. Right. That half of his face looks like a monster, and the other half looks like a normal die. It looks like Clint Eastwood, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. And the same thing, the Confederate uniform, that in many ways he looks in every sense like the bad guy. Yeah. And then I think- and people treat him like the bad guy, too. Yeah, I think there's- Often he has an air of mystery around himself. He has, a, he has his reputation that precedes him, and he is treated with disgust and fear and- Violence, usually, or yeah. almost immediate violence. That somebody shows up and wants to pick a fight with him, says, yeah. oh, I'm the, the baddest guy in this two-horse town, and I want to show that I can kick the ass of this famous guy. Um, or you get somebody who sees the uniform, takes offense at it, and wants to fight him. And over the course of all these stories, you kind of ask yourself, why is this character the way that he is? Why does he still wear this uniform? When you find out in other stories, he's actually a Confederate deserter. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I, I think I, I kind of got with the uniform thing. It's kind of like, you know, the movie Inglorious Bastards. Mm-hmm. The attitude that uh, Brad Pitt and the Bastards have with Nazis is... You can't just take this off. No. Yeah. Yeah. It, you know, I want something as, as a sign of shame that you have to be this for the rest of your life. And I think on some level, Jonah Hex wants to be hated. Yeah. Yeah. Because you know, he feels like he deserves it. I mean, he's he always says that he's constantly has a beef with God and that he's uh, he's there to help send souls to hell. Right. Yeah. It's, <laughs> that's his, his theological battle. And it's, kinda, it's right in his name too. the name Jonah Hex. And this is something our good friend Paul Rue pointed out to me that both Jonah and Hex both mean bad luck. Oh, wow. That Jonah, of course, the biblical Jonah, sure. and this is used by sailors as that's definitely bad luck to right. end up in the belly of a giant fish. Right. <laughs> and hex, I mean, it means curse. Yeah, absolutely. And he's this guy who is bad at everything except for killing bad guys, mm-hmm. hunting down bad guys. That he's he's an exceptional bounty hunter. He is the Boba Fett of the Old West, <laughs> but. Every time he tries to do anything else, he just fails horribly yeah, at it. Yeah. There's There are stories where he tries to be a pacifist. He tries to be a farmer. He tries to be a husband and father. Mm-hmm. And he just fails. It always falls apart because there's that part of him that that one thing he's good at, that one thing that he can pull himself out of a financial hole with is the thing that disgusts people. Yeah. It's the thing yeah. that scares people. And I think that I think he likes killing, but I don't think he likes that he likes killing. Yeah, I mean it's it's 
I, it's interesting because he has to, they juxtapose that with the fact that he has a morality that is more or less a superhero morality, right? I mean, he, he does protect the innocent. He protects children and animals and helpless people. Um, and he can be swayed, he can be swayed to care about things, you know? Yeah. I think he's got a soft spot that he tries to walk away from. It's a Mad Max kind of quality. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. That if you look at Mad Max in every Mad Max movie, except for maybe the first one before he becomes that broken man. In Road Warrior and Fury Road especially, you have this guy who just wants to leave on his own. He doesn't care about this struggle that these people are having against a monster. Not my fight. I'm going to take your truck. Fuck you. Goodbye. <laughs> but there's that part of him oh, just deep down yeah. where he, just, he comes back and he's like, I can't, I can't leave them. Yeah. I can't leave vulnerable people in that situation. And he grumbles about it, but he still does it. Yeah, I I I couldn't help uh, upon sort of reading a lot of Jonah Hex thing is to look at him as sort of, um, kind of like a Ronin, you know, kind of like a Yojimbo style Ronin, where he's a he's sort of a professional killer who's disgraced and master masterless, and he's sort of wandering the land, and he's everywhere he arrives, he's thought of as a traitor and someone who doesn't belong and he's seen as being without honor but in reality he's holding to this strict code of morality this honor to himself um despite the fact that the world thinks that he's irredeemable they think so he's, he's trash yeah and so i th- i think he's i think he's kind of a ronin for the west you know yeah he yeah. is um you know who he reminds me of and it was something that that came to me uh, prepping for this he reminds me of the character The Hound, Sandor Clegane. Oh, yeah. oh, oh, oh my God, yes. On Game of Thrones, yeah. who also has a horrible facial burn right. on the right side of his face. Yes, he does. And he's also this guy who... <laughs> You're on notice, George R.R. R. Martin. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. George R.R. R. Martin is a comic book fan. I'm, I'm sure he was, I yeah. wonder if I, if I get the chance to ever talk to George R.R. R. Martin, I want to ask him if perhaps there is some Hex influence mm. in there mm. that... Just like Jonah Hex, this is a total badass who has a code and also is incredibly nasty to people and is right. feared and kind of, you know, people find him revolting and they sort of stay away from him. They kind of pull back. They don't want to talk to the hound. And but deep down, when the chips are down, he just kind of has this soft spot for vulnerable people that he sees that are kind of like mm-hmm. him in some way, like abused children or people that are disfigured. Um, he'll He's willing to do horrible shit to people, but there's that, that part of him that fights against it. And also somebody who fails to be a pacifist. <laughs> um, but yeah, yes. I can... I can sort of see that with him. And I think that the other thing I think that draws me to a lot of Hex stories is what our friend Greg Hatcher refers to as the fuck yeah moment. Oh, my God. They're great. Yeah. They're great. Yeah. He's he's full of them. I mean, there are storylines where Jonah Hex tackles a horse with a guy riding it by grabbing its front legs and knocking the horse down. <laughs> he's the greatest gunfighter in the world. He's an amazing tracker. Yeah. And he knows he's terrifying to people and he uses it to his advantage. Yeah, and and the great part about it is, is it's a comic book, but this is not a superhero. There's no superpowers. It's sort of a hyper real comic booky world, but um, you know, he doesn't have like X ray vision, and he doesn't have uh, super strength or something. He can't jump really far, or run really fast. He just is. He just is sort of a, in a Batman way. He's just sort of the best possible gunfighter that there could be. You know, and he has this this determination to survive. That is insane. Like, he will get horribly wounded and pull himself up. Uh, I mean, he will get stabbed through the leg. I mean, he and he was he's also clever, yeah, which is the course. other thing. I believe there's a story where a bunch of bad guys track him down to this cabin, 
and they have the whole place surrounded. They just light the fucking place up, just blasting and blasting. They shoot it for minutes. They go in, the place is empty, and they look around. They're like, oh. They look down underneath this rug. There's a cellar door there, and just as they start to open it, Hex is in the rafters and blows them away. <laughs> it's little things like that yeah. that yeah. just really make this. I I think he deserves a little bit of history here because, I mean, maybe people have heard of the shitty movie that gave him superpowers. Yes, yes. But um, <laughs> I... Thankfully, I think most of people forgot. I think only comic book nerds still remember things like the Green Lantern movie and the Jonah Hex movie. Right. And Howard Remember the it out of ire, mostly. Yeah, yeah. Just like we stick with it, but most people have moved on. <laughs> um, Jonah Hex first appeared in 1972 in mm-hmm. the 10th issue of All-Star Western, which two issues later changed its name to Weird Western Tales in issue 12. Mm. And he became the lead feature right away. Um, He was created by John Albano and Tony DeZuniga, who is a Filipino artist. And I know that the idea of him looking half good, half evil, I think that he saw something like old like people who... uh, old plastic surgery or old surgery things where people's face look gross. He's like, I could do that with his face. That's hmm. what will make him sort of iconic and interesting. I mean, it's it's kind of a variation on the, it's kind of a Phantom of the Opera sort of thing or a variation on the idea of how do you make a character immediately interesting, give him an eye patch, that yeah. sort of thing. Just give him one distinctive feature. So Yeah, yeah he's not somebody who wears a, a, he has kind of a costume. He has a variations right. on an outfit that right. he always wears, the Confederate uniform, the deerskin boots, mm-hmm. and it's sort of thrown together. But the uh, he continued to be in, in the lead feature in Weird Western Tales until 1977. They launched him over into his own self-titled series. And talking about him holding on to that series until 1985. Yeah, it's incredible. The the comic book Western. Yeah. I who, mean, who, whoever thinks of the Western as a genre that that would woman care about comic books in the eighties. I mean, I mean the seventies, he's still kind of carrying over for, you know, the 1960s and stuff. Cause 1972 through 85, this guy's appearing regularly in comic books. So his popularity was such that it transcended the, the fad. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And uh, then the really interesting thing happened in 1985, which is they decided to retool the character (laughs) into the format that you actually know. The first time he has uh, the 18 issue series called hex where he's, transported uh, we don't know how right into a post-apocalyptic outside of seattle mad max style world um and fights his way through the wasteland essentially doing the same sort of shit that he does in the original comic book right yeah the western and the post-apocalypse i think you can there's a frontier justice there is no civil authority and the lone guy can go up to clean up towns it's like we were talking about with the vigilante death wish thing yeah yeah it's like Take out the things that make this person a criminal because there is no law. Right. right. And, uh, you know, the stuff that Hex does is, is legal. So he adapts to that world really well because he's used to wastelands and he's used to guys trying to kill him and he's used <laughs> to doing whatever it takes to do to survive. You know, radiation, uh, mutant freaks, you know, he's used to that. And he's not even the ugliest guy anymore. <laughs> so, I mean, that series ran for, pro- like you said, 18 issues. Yep, yep. Then he kind of went into, I compare him to a cancer, but he kind of went into remission <laughs> for a while. Uh, un- he's, a, he's a cancer on the bushwhackers and bandits of the world, yes. Yeah, despite the fact that I believe that, even though it was critically acclaimed the hex series did only well in europe 
but not mm. in the U.S. Hmm. I mean, the sales were kind of down. He's a character that a lot of times stays in publication because creators and management love him. Mm-hmm. That he's It's kind of like the Beast from X-Men, whereas he's always being used, even though he's not the most popular character, because creators love using mm. him. Mm. Um, so Hex kind of came back in the mid to late 90s in a series of miniseries under the Vertigo imprint. By, Which is a crazy jump, actually, to think about it. To yeah. go to the the mature adult sort of alt imprint for a major major comic book publisher. Yeah, the that's ones, a crazy jump. Like Hellblazer, Sandman. These yeah. were all books that were being put out by Vertigo at that time, and they did series like Jonah Hex, Shadows West, uh, Two Gun Mojo, mm-hmm. and uh, Riders of the Worm, and such. <laughs> and they had sort of a supernatural element. It was like one of them is Hex, basically fighting zombies. That have been raised like Haitian zombie style, and one oh, of them, nice. the Haitian zombie of what was the guy who got killed in Deadwood while playing cards? Oh, Buffalo Bill. Buffalo Bill Hickok. Oh, yeah, or Wild Bill Hickok. Wild Bill Hickok yes. is a zombie that he has to do battle with, <laughs> who's being raised by this voodoo priest of who's course. traveling around the prairie. Of course. Uh, there's another one where he basically fights kind of a Lovecraftian horror type thing that's growing underneath this like frontier, um, like fort. There's all kinds of weird shit, and they got sued for that one, and it took forever for them to to base it because I know the you know the Winter Brothers, the guys, the the musicians, mm-hmm. the, the albino guys, mm-hmm. those who who the villains were based on in that series. <laughs> but yeah, Joe Lansdale uh, wrote those ones with Tim Truman, who'd done a lot of work on like Conan the Barbarian later, a lot of those sorts of characters. But you know, it wasn't until probably 2005 after that that uh, Jimmy Palmiotti and uh, Justin Gray did a 70-issue series that brought back the classic Jonah Hex in right. the West. Right, and, and it was it was definitely a return to form. We'll talk about it because there isn't any zombies or swamp monsters or any sorts of things in it. It's pretty it's pretty raw, you know. It's pretty raw. I think yeah. there's like two appearances by a supernatural character, but for the most part, it's pretty much Jonah Hex. Uh, just being the baddest ass in the West. Right, right. So that ran 70 issues. They did a, a reboot for the New 52 where all of DC Comics sort of turned over all of their titles. And something happened between uh, that, which was the Jonah Hex movie, <laughs> um, which was box office poison. Yeah, I think it's their big, the DC Warner Brothers' biggest losing uh, movie. Even more ba- losing than Green Lantern, apparently. Which maybe, is insane to Maybe say. more than Catwoman. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of failures on that plate. Um, but, yeah, I think that uh, that was the reason that when they rebooted the series for the New 52, they called it All-Star Western again. Mm. I would have gone with weird Western tales because mm-hmm. it sounds cooler. <laughs> but they, I think they were afraid to have the Jonah Hex name on anything. Um, I don't think people gave a shit, really. Yeah. But um, after a time, the, the cover would change to All-Star Western, starring Jonah Hex right, on the right, cover. Right. So, I mean, his name became more prominent. That, well, ran that puts f- him more in line with sort of detective Detective Comics Batman, right? Where yeah. they still sort of pay homage to the to the old stuff, but obviously it's only going to be about one character. Yeah, know? that character took that name over a long time ago. Yeah. So, yeah, I think it's like that, and that ran for 34 issues, and that was in 2014. We haven't had any new Hex since then, and I think he's unique in a lot of ways, but I think one of them is that Hex is the one of the few comic book characters that has a canon in-universe death date. 
Oh yeah, I'm I'm really going to be looking forward to talking about uh, his his end, his uh, epilogue. Yeah, that's really really amazing. It really is. It's kind of great. It is that he actually has a last story, and yeah. because that he's sort of separate from characters like you know Superman and Batman, who always exist in sort of a present. Mm-hmm. I mean, the they're always in the present day. I mean, Superman has been published since the 30s, but. He's always in the present day, and it's not like he's been doing this since the 30s, so you have this sliding time scale. And the one thing you'll never do in a superhero comic book, really almost ever, is mention the current year. Right. (laughs) You're just not going to bring it up. It's always the present, and we just keep switching more stuff in a timeline. Hex isn't like that, that you have his adventures from his birth in 1838 is the year he's born, and he lives until 1906, I think, or Mm -hmm. 1910. sounds right. That sounds right. Something around then. So you can sort of fit his stories into a timeline. And there's a lot of stuff he does in his life, including going into the future and fighting (laughs) Mad Max-style bad guys. But, I mean, they've actually brought that up in a couple places. He's been a lot in animated series. People use him a lot. Yeah. Um, They actually had an episode of Justice League Unlimited where the superheroes went back in time to the West and teamed up with a bunch of DC Western heroes. And Jonah Hex went... You folks are time travelers, aren't you? <laughs> and they were kind of like, what? And he's like, I've lived an interesting life. <laughs> and I think there was a, I, I first saw him because he's on the fourth season of Batman the Animated Series in a flashback about Ra's al Ghul uh, in sort of a steampunky sort of uh, Western where he's, it's an old Jonah Hex. Yeah. Uh, and he's he's basically battling Ra's al Ghul and his goons. I love it's it. Great, it's great. I see. I love stuff he's, like he's that. A, you know, he's like an "I'm too old for this shit" kind of guy. And <laughs> yeah, that, it's great. I love this character, and I, what I find so interesting is for a dead genre of comic books that this guy gets used as often as he does. He's been in like ten cartoons. Yeah, it's amazing. Never is the lead character, but they always have an excuse to put him in there. It's like, of course, he's going to team up with Batman and Batman Brave and the Bold. Of course, he's going to meet the <laughs> Justice League because he's awesome, and you don't have to say anything about him other than he's a bad badass cowboy which is uh and he's a badass cowboy he's an anti-hero um and he kind of like we said on our batman panel for radio versus the martians you can fit him anywhere yeah he can just slot himself into any time any scenario because all if you just need an unstoppable killing machine um who gives some gives some nice fine quips like he works he absolutely works yeah and you, he just is so blase about shit that just falls into his lap <laughs> um i know that there's a story that they did in the batman superman team up title that was coming out for a while where jonah hex actually fought both batman and superman and kicked their asses yes. and with like kryptonite bullets in his gun he's just like this looks like this green rock i've had made into bullets and he <laughs> just shoots him in the back says, adios, spaceman. <laughs> and he beats the shit out of Batman, stabs him through the hand with a Bowie knife. It's just, it's great. It's also a testament to his sort of uh, longevity that he can, he can be inserted into the very silly, over-the-top superhero stuff, but he can also exist in his, in his own time, in sort of his, his own place, and it feels right. They, yeah. Yeah. He's he's a really unusual character for the amount of stories consistently that have been written about him. That if you're like a Spider-Man fan or Batman fan or a Wonder Woman fan, you have dozens if not hundreds of writers that have written these characters over the years. And when you're a fan of something, like you're a huge Trekkie, mm-hmm. there are parts of Star Trek that you hate. Yeah. Yep. That you're just like, oh, God, that's the worst. Uh, because you can't have anything with that many writers and that many creative directions that doesn't have horrible shit in it. And the thing I kind of get with Hex is the worst of his stories are 
that was pretty good. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I think it's because he's had so few writers that between 74 and 87, he had just one writer. That's shocking. Michael Fleischer wrote all of his stuff. This is a guy who'd done a lot of stuff, including- Michael, Michael Fleischer was related to the Superman animator, wasn't he? I don't know. I don't think so. But I, I mean, I don't know Max if Fleischer, Max, oh Fleischman, oh I'm Fleischman. sorry, I'm sorry. Yeah, if he, if Roy Thomas was writing this, then yes, they would be related because <laughs> everyone is related with Roy Thomas writes it. But uh, the, uh, the he wrote him. He also wrote like the Spectre, who is basically like mm. Rorschach crossed with the genie from Aladdin, sure, <laughs> with <laughs> that kind of justice. Um, and uh, he also did a lot of Conan. Mm. And you oh, can wow. see that kind of gritty, yep. this is how we do justice kind of EC comics kind of vibe to it. Right, right. And, uh, but yeah, um, Lans- uh, Lansdale, Joe-, Joe Lansdale writing him. And then, of course, uh, Paul Miotti and Gray. So you have these three big eras. And really, his creator, uh, John Albano, only wrote him for like maybe 10 issues. Yeah, and and they've there's a an amazing fealty to the character, and maybe it's because the character is a bit of a blank slate, uh, and he's just a vehicle to he's just a vehicle to tell a simple story through. Um, but I mean, you it's it would be hard to jump the shark with Jonah Hex. I yeah, think, they think. they found a way in that movie though. <laughs> <laughs> is it's like oh, it drove me crazy because that movie came out the same year as a, the biggest video game of that year was Red Dead Redemption. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God, yes. That was a classic spaghetti Western story. It didn't have any flash or bullshit in it. It was just gritty, and it included the same thing with the Mexican Civil War. You got to have a scene where you got to blast people with a minigun. <laughs> um, you, you got the whole crank Wait, gadget. didn't they have a horse-mounted minigun in that movie? Yeah. Yeah, okay. It's got all steampunk, and he had the power to talk to the dead. It's like, it, no. It kind of felt like Wild Wild West 2. Yeah. yeah. We don't yeah. need Wild Wild West 2. Wild Wild <laughs> West 1 sucked and it failed. You don't need to create that again. And it's like they get in their mind that this is a comic book character, so he has to have superpowers, rather than just this is a character based on movies, and we've done really good Jonah Hex-style westerns. Of course. Yeah. So many times. Yeah. Like something like the Outlaw Josie Wales, The Wild Bunch, uh, Fistful of Dollars for a Few Dollars More. We can do it, so it's so and, weird. And we're actually making, uh, we're actually making really good, um, really good westerns in cinema now that aren't don't have to be over the top. Like Slow West was one of them that was very recent. Uh, what was the top Bone Tomahawk? I don't know if you saw Bone Tomahawk. No, we're making great. There is no shortage of filmmakers who are making very compelling, very good film westerns that we do not need to trot out Jonah Hex and make him a superhero, make it a superhero Western. Uh, Django Unchained. Yeah, was, of course. Has, a, has that same kind of tone where it's like, there's an element of, I can't believe they just did that visceral, like fist pumping awesomeness. Yeah. Um, and we got it again with the hateful eight Tarantino yeah. really is kind of in love with the Western right now. Yeah. And I mean, it's sort of weird to give a, a filmmaker like Tarantino an adapted work, but he did Jackie Brown. And I would say that he's the director that I would hand this over to. Ditto. <laughs> Ditto. I'd say, make that movie, do it exactly what you want. This, I mean, you don't have to change anything about this character, and he's already something I could see Tarantino kind of gravitating towards. Absolutely. I could see him being into like things like Sergeant Rock, those kind of gritty, not sure. superhero works. Yeah. And just kicking all sorts of ass with it. And It's so fertile. I mean, I, I thought, thinking about this beforehand, it... It mystifies me why Jonah Hex couldn't get his own weekly, episodic, not serialized TV show in this current era of high-budget 
well executed like HBO style television. He would be perfect a a return to form of the TV westerns but done in a way that's can be satisfying like a Deadwood could be satisfying. Absolutely. Deadwood's another great example of yeah. that just non-romanticized western. Yeah. And a character like this who's so unsentimental who just has no fucks to give. And I guess that's the joy of Hex is that he's just he's like a walking callus. <laughs> <laughs> who every so often it just takes the right thing to pull the heart out of him. Mm-hmm. And he goes after that bad guy with some really, really viscerally yeah. satisfying meanness. Yeah. The, the the payoffs are fantastic payoffs. They really are. Uh, so one of the things we want to do on this podcast, uh, talking about this character, is to look at different eras of this guy, not do it issue by issue, not do it in any specific order, but in some ways actually contrast different eras of him. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We might do two issues uh, from different eras of the character. We might do a mini series. We might look at his animated stuff. Yeah. And this is not a series I think is going to be weekly or bi-monthly. It's going to be maybe once or... Whenever we feel like it. Whenever we feel like it. W- once, once or whenever we feel like it. Yeah. I want to get at least one out a year. Yeah, yeah. But uh, I think it's going to be something that'll be a special treat when we do it. And uh, I I think it'll be fun. But there's one thing I do want to do. And we were talking about this before, Casey. Is oh, the kill count. The kill count. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, he, uh, he does leave a trail of corpses in his wake. And I think, didn't you say that someone, one of the writers, had made an estimate of his global lifetime kill count, right? Yeah. Um, I was fortunate enough to have a guest appearance on Ryan Daly's Secret Origins podcast for the episode on Jonah Hex. And uh, the main storyline uh, is in the present day, the 80s, looking back on him as a historical figure. And they actually mentioned that he has a canonical 336 kills. And that which, is... Which seems awfully low to me. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's for what we see. It's like, and those are Jason Voorhees numbers. <laughs> that is that is some serious slasher movie shit. And I know it feels low because I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> I'm, I've seen him kill a lot of people. He gets at least three or four in on a slow day. (laughs) So what we're going to do on every episode is have the Jonah Hex confirmed kill count, (laughs) where we manage to uh, look through every person that this mean son of a bitch dispatches and and removes from our mortal coil. (laughs) And there are a lot of people. And and maybe even talk about some of our favorite ways that he's managed to to send them off to the great beyond. Absolutely. I mean, and we'll have no shortage of fodder. Oh, God. Yes. He has no shortage of fodder. There's a reason that he doesn't have a lot of recurring villains. <laughs> so uh, with that, we're going to leave you with our very first episode, released at the same time. So thank you, folks, and enjoy. Bye-bye. Hex and Violence is a production of Radio vs. the Martians and is hosted by Mike Gillis and Casey Doran. This podcast is recorded in Tacoma, Washington, and is edited by Mike Gillis. Our original theme music was written and performed by James Wetzel, and our opening narration was performed by Dan Lombardo. Special thanks to Sam Mulvey, Rob Kelly, James Wetzel, and Dan Lombardo. Please take the time to rate and review us on iTunes and Stitcher, and follow us on Facebook and Twitter. And you can find us online at RadioVersusTheMartian.com.
You don't look so tough. Looks tough to me. Not to me. Watch this. Hey, Hex! What happened to your face? Self-shaving. What happened to yours? <laughs>